Welcome to Exit the Red Race, the podcast for high performers who want to enter the next level in business and in life with more focus, more energy, clarity, and freedom. We don't do dusty book wisdom or guru quotes. It's all about real, extraordinary experiences and the raw lessons from daily life. He asks you the questions that no one else does. Sometimes tough, sometimes in your face, but always with one goal, challenging you to live your most legendary life. Here's your host, Daniel Kluke. Exit the Red Race. So today I have a conversation with a really good friend of mine and his name is Ryan Dot. And since the recording of this interview, he's now a fourth world time champion when it comes to water ski jumping. We going to talk about fear. When you hit that ramp with immense speeds flying through the air, how do you deal with fear? Internal fear, physical fear. What is it that you say to yourself? And also, how do you make choices? And how do you stick to your routines? What kind of routines do you have? And what makes you stick to them? Enjoy. So, hi, everybody. Today, in this series of open conversations, I have a good friend of mine, Ryan Dot, here on the call. And Ryan and I met each other in one of my events in uh, Norway. He's a great guy, but besides being a great guy, he has an interesting background too, because he's a professional water ski jumper. I think, all, if I read it correctly, already for 20 years and since 2017, he's the world record holder. He won three world championships. And besides being a professional athlete, he's an entrepreneur in several areas. He's a father and he's always constantly looking to improve himself. And I invited him here today to... Yeah, really go deep and challenge him with some questions about what takes him, what drives him. How does he deal, for example, with procrastination, managing his energy, doing all those things. And at the same time, being a father and a partner too. So welcome, Ryan. Nice to have you here. Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like forever what I already said. Do you have, by the way, anything to add to this uh, introduction that I gave about you? I think that was a fair bit. I think the only notable thing in addition would be that I'm probably the only Canadian that now has a fear of the cold, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that already uh, came back after Norway. <laughs> but you rocked it in Norway. So, but yeah. that's why you live right now in Florida, yeah. if I'm correct, right? The, yeah, I had to move to the warmest part of the US. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, being a water skier for 20 years, the first time that we met and you shared this uh, with me, then already my interest in you came up with like 20 years doing something like this. How is his mind reacting to this? How is his body reacting to this? What, in a way, how did he yeah, create his life to sustain what he's doing for such a long period of time. Maybe maybe the first 
question for you. What was the driving force for you to just start with water ski jumping in the first place, Ryan? I mean, it's, it's always, I always like to think back of like how, you know, some result was created and what were the factors and who contributed and what happened or what, you know, I can't decipher exactly one moment precisely, but there was a few that there were a few when I was very young that made it very clear that this is exactly what I want to do. And I'd say the combination was very unique. And you know, I had the opportunity. My dad was a water skier. He was a farmer. We'd go and ski with his, his uh, best friend who was uh, Don the Wallen's name. And his sons, Jarrett and Craig were the best water skiers in the world. And they were off in Florida, living the dream. And I was up in Canada with my dad going to ski or going to watch my dad ski with, with Dawn and in our three month summer in Canada. And that was interesting. They were heroic, but I didn't really want to do it still. Uh, I, I just didn't, I wasn't really that adventurous. I didn't really want to try much. So that was kind of at a standstill. And I, you know, my dad tried to get me to ski all the way up till I was nine years old. Most kids are doing these. If someone's going to excel, they're usually doing something when they're four is what you hear anyways. And they're all, you know, in the yeah. training camps and I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to like ride a tube and chill in the boat. And <laughs> I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I went to this tournament and I saw this kid. He was the best. He was the cool kid. And we're at this tournament. I was there watching. I, I just, I was, I didn't really have many friends and I saw him go out and he fell like the first buoy. And I was like, one, it was like, Oh wow. The best kid could just fall. Like I thought it was kind of neat that someone so good could, you know, also like just have a, basically the worst possible performance. Yeah. But then my brain went like, I remember sitting there watching at nine years old. And I was like, Oh, I could beat that. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> and I go, dad, I just run up to my dad. Hey, I could have, I could have done that dad. I could have gotten one buoy. Like, so his worst possible outcome, I saw that as my chance. I'm like, well, he did mess up. I could maybe beat him. Like I could be, I could do that. So I went home and I started skiing. Yeah. That was, then I'm like, now I'm skiing. And then that led to, uh, our friendship and he just actually got married uh, two weeks ago and oh, wow. I was in his wedding party and, and everybody does the speech at the wedding and stuff. And I just stayed very silent and paid attention. And I wrote him a letter after and sent it to him basically just kind of recapping what we're talking about and what it, you know, that moment did for me and, and how special it was and they'll always be there for him. And it was pretty neat. So he was a huge factor and we've skied together since and been, uh, he's been a great friend. And then the other factor, so I think we've got two now, the third would, would most likely be that, you know, I grew up on a farm and the last thing I wanted to do was like farm labor, like, especially in Canada, like we had a huge operation and every bit of it just looked painful and challenging and a struggle and the weather and hard work and no fun. And, um, my dad thankfully gave me the opportunity that I could, I just had to work hard at something and it could be anything. So he said, if I want to be an athlete, I can do that. It, and I don't have to work at all on the farm as long as I'm working hard. So that was my driving force. And my one coach knew that he was always like, oh, you, we'd be skiing and the tractor would go by. He's like, you want to be doing this or you want to be doing that? <laughs> I did not want to do that. <laughs> I wanted a water ski because I was like, I do not have to go work on the farm. And then uh, I'd say the fourth was like that sort of dream that Luan brothers had just living in Florida, like was really like, I could be a, I could be a water skier. I could live in Florida. And I just had this sort of picture of this fun life. I'd say then, the, then I met Brianne and we went down the path together. 
if you, if you have to choose, because deep down inside, I know, uh, Ryan, that that there was like one of those things you just shared with us is that there was one pivotal, let's say, area. Which was the which one was the most pivotal one that created you to really like, I'm really going to excel at it? Was it like escaping the situation that you were in when you grew up or not? That was never like a pivot. That was always, that was kind of my driving force. Like I'd say that was kind of one I mean, I, I had that I wanted to work to be like my idol mm-hmm. and he showed me a foreseeable path that kind of was serious. I just sort of modeled that my, and did that all the way up until I was like, oh, wow, I'm in 10 years ago. I was in Florida. I was doing that. I had a house in Florida. I was skiing. I was one of the best in the world, uh, blah, blah, blah. But that was like sort of creating a job out of skiing and making it work and not having to do the other stuff was a huge sort of kick in the butt the whole time. Yeah. This is up until say 10 years ago, all, all these factors. Yeah. There is a, there, so neither of those are really pivotal, but they were sort of forces that kept me moving. Yeah. I'd say there was another pivotal moment. I wanted to be a good skier. I wanted, but I, I didn't. So when I was 13, but I didn't know I could, I, I still thought I was kind of okay. And I was just doing it. And I was like the little kid looking at the stars, trying to be one. And I was at this national championships and I was, and I'd, I was probably sixth or seventh in the country. And, you know, I was jumping like 140, 150 feet and to win, you had to go like 175 feet. So I was nowhere close. My personal best was not even in the ballpark. I should have probably gotten sixth or seventh place. And that same idol, Jarrett Llewellyn, he gave me a speed, this special suit with the Maple Leafs on it for Canada and this fancy suit. And I remember I was in the hotel room wearing it and jumping on the bed and running around like a kid looking in the mirror. Just like, I thought I was like a superhero because I had his suit on and he had the world record. Yeah. It was his actual suit. I was slightly overweight at the time and quite uh, big for my age. But so I fit this adult suit when I was 14 and I went out in the finals of the national championships and I did a personal best by 20 feet and I won the event. And then the announcer was also a pro and he goes, this guy, I remember, after he was this guy, Ryan, he, he did this and it was amazing. Like he couldn't believe it. And he's like, that's the best performance I've seen. And that, I remember like doing that, that moment, hearing him say that specifically that moment, that's when I was like, I'm going to be the best in the world. And I just, I said it. And then that I, I kept believing it my whole life. Wow. So what I hear when it says a very specific day, one yeah. day, so, but what I hear you say is wearing that suit of the world champion in a way ignited that that extra, yeah, part inside of you, and then you've got to that point, and then you get that recognition from somebody yeah. that you also look up to. Yeah. Well, maybe him giving that to me. He never gave me anything, and he coached me my whole life. He never really complimented me or gave me. He even motivated me with some sunglasses one time and I missed the goal by a day and I didn't get the sunglasses. But then the one day he just gave me that suit. It almost felt like maybe I was ready or it was something like some symbol of, and I kind of felt that. And then I went out and performed that. And then I was affirmed that after. And I was like, well, we're, uh, we're on. And I was just this 14 year old kid. And that's when, I don't know if I just had it in my head or everybody understood it, but you know, from that moment on next year, I won the junior world championships. The next year I got a scholarship. Then um, next year I'm top four in the world. And it was insane. 
Yeah, but it is interesting what you say, because most people, when it comes to creating change in their life, there is a lot of discomfort or pain, or it's really attractive for creating change in their life. What I hear you say, Ryan, it's a little bit, it's almost like balance out between the two, because you had the attractiveness of, let's say, that, that friend that you still know. You had those people that you were looking up mm -hmm. to. It was like living in, in Florida. And then on the other side, you had the, the pain of staying in Canada, being a farmer. Yeah. There's that balance between the two. I had the fat, I had like the drivers, right? I always had the drivers. I was always doing the work, but then there was like a, there was a moment where boom, and that moment things changed really fast. And my beliefs did as well. And the same thing happened when I broke my world record. I've been trying to break the world record for 15 years and I'd been, you know, planting the seeds. I've been doing the work for who knows how many years. Right. And then, but there was one moment where I actually believed, like I always thought I could do it, but there was a specific moment where it was like, bang, it hit me like this. It's like, boom, I remember standing there. I can break the world record. And I just like that. It was like, Oh really? I could do it. And there was a moment and it was that, there's been only a few of those in my life and just right at that time, bang. And then everything changed. How um, did you, could you also feel that in your body in a certain way? And how did you feel it? Just sort of like the biggest light bulb turned on and just like, whoa, like shocked kind of weird. And I was like, after I won the U S masters for, I don't know, the fourth time or something, I got out of the water and the driver hugged me and you know, like you do or whatever. And he goes, Ryan, that was 244 feet. And I'm like, yeah, because I was doing it every day. I wasn't surprised. And it was the course record, a master's record, blah, blah, blah. But I was just, thanks, like, cool. And he's like, Ryan, you can, you know what that means? I'm like, no. He's like, you can break a world record. <laughs> and I went, oh, I can. And then I, then I did it a month later. Would you also so say that, in, in, that it sparked a trust within yourself? Probably, yeah. Yeah, because what I hear you say, you started to believe in yourself and you trusted yourself and that in a way had a result on your performance and what you were doing, right? Yeah. And and now doing this for 20 years, hey, you've, I think you've won it all. If I see, I don't think there are a lot of things that you didn't won uh, right now. After so much time and what we will go deeper into a little bit because it's, it, you pay a price for it, like time-wise, uh, physical-wise, emotional-wise, what is it that you still drives you until the day of today that you still have that whole routine regime and yeah, being out there, being a water skier? It's hard to know exactly, but I don't really know how to describe it. And it's, it's been different at different periods of my life. It's been at some points, it's been sort of out of almost mental necessity to survive. It's felt like, like to distract myself or to get out of pain or to escape anxiety there's been all these different levels. There's been times it's just been this peaceful sort of bliss that I enjoy. There's been times I'm doing it because it's my job. I feel like I've been through so many phases of why I'm doing this, what it's about. Then it's, you know, I've tried to create more purposeful ways for it to be, I'm giving back or I'm, you know, coaching and the kids that I coach get to watch or I've set it up to where it's been portion of my winnings has gone to building houses and we've done that for a handful of years. And that's kind of felt like I've had a bigger purpose times. It's been when the family's in pain, I've tried to do something that my family would be happy about and something, you know, they seek joy from when I ski. And I don't know right now, it's just like none of this shit. I just want to 
just for myself, it's like, I like to do this. I like, I love lifting weights. I love training. I love pondering about what could be better in the sport. I love that one, I'm able to do this because I've worked my butt off my whole life. Like financially, it's been hard to get to where you could be a pro wires here. It's not even a thing. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I can, you, it's not a thing. And like, now I can sort of do this. Yeah. As I've told you, I think in the past, it's like, it's a huge rush, like the actual jump, like the big jumps are insane. Like, but I don't want it just to be that. And, and that's been a driving force for a few years, like that feeling of flying and that it's almost like a carrot though. And then I got really frustrated the last couple of years when you're, I'm in pain and stuff, not technically jumping well. I can't experience that. Yeah. Like I'd like to its fullest. It's like, I can't get on the, I'm not allowed on the fancy ride at the park because you're too small or something like, so that's not sustainable either. And right now I'm like, I just want to enjoy, you know, there's a million things you can do to improve as an athlete. I just want to enjoy like just going through the motions of that process and see where it takes me. And I, I think just the whole ride I want to feel. But, but that's an interesting thing. And I, I think that's what every high performance experience through his life. So the, the, the driving force that we talked about the starting point, but it has changed through the years why you're still doing it with, let's say, external performance and getting that internal high, doing it yeah. for others, doing it for probably the recognition that you're, that you are somebody, but what yeah. I hear you say now, doing it for 20 years, been through all those things. And maybe at that time it brought you what you needed, but what you need now yeah. in your life is just the enjoyment of the growth itself instead of the, let's say the results that have come from it. Right. Yeah. It's almost like I've got to the point where I actually don't need jumping finally. And now I'm like, huh, this is, there's been all these phases and different things that it's sort of helped me through. And last year was kind of where I'm like, do I really need to do this? And I couldn't find a great answer. But I think that is the answer that I don't need to do it, but I still want to do it. That's pretty cool. And what does if that I... bring you, Ryan? Because I can totally understand that. But what is it that you feel I don't need to do it anymore, but I just choose to do it? What What is that, let's say, in I think it feels like quite a freedom. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to feel. I haven't actually hit the jump yet in five months, but I got on my skis and rode them. And it was, Brianne said she hadn't seen me just skiing around. She hadn't seen me smile like that since you can remember. And it sure wasn't technically on point or anything. And I felt the same in the gym and I felt the same making our juice and eating healthy. And I, I've said, I'm going to go all in and people think, Oh, you're oh, like, Oh, you, I stopped. I said, as of a certain date, I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And in the times in the past, I've done similar things and it's been painful and I've been annoyed and stressed because I'm not eating sugar and not drinking, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it, the reason I'm doing that is because I want to, I want to feel this. I want to feel the changes. I want to feel what it feels like to completely immerse in something, not because it's going to get me something. And I've truly, it's crazy. I've cut all this stuff out and I've felt so great in that process versus the years before journaling of how horrible it's felt. <laughs> so. yeah. And in the, in the conversation before we talked about it, right? In, in, instead of constantly doing things and looking for the next best thing and new shiny objects to, to improve yeah. what I hear you say now is it's about cutting things out and going back to just doing it for the growth itself and experiencing yourself in yeah. that growth. 
And I think like I've had this, I've had this aura ring for two years and it stressed me out. It was stressing me out before. Yeah. For the people um, that don't know it, it's watching your biometrics that you can check uh, on your telephone. It stressed me out. I didn't, and then I've worn the last 10 days and of all times to wear it when I'm now rocking Aria to sleep and waking up in the middle of the night. And, you know, you could get some drastic results maybe, but it's not stressing me out. No. It's, it's just now interesting for some reason, but I'm not, I don't know. What is that? What is that? What is, do you think is the change within that, that you can now approach it differently? I'm not exactly sure, but I think one knowing that I don't need to do this and I really want to is quite unique. Mm. It's like someone asked like, what do you actually want to do? Like today, like what, what, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I feel like the answer to that question more often is getting closer to what I'm doing that day. Mm. It's like last year, there's a lot of time to think about this stuff. There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> going on. <laughs> I'm like, Hmm. You know, and it's, it's when you get all the stuff taken away, you can't fly, like, can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do uh, I'm just like, okay. And I, I think, think it's what, what not only a lot of people know from you is like, I know that you have a personal trainer for the last few years or months. I don't know what exactly the timeline is from that. But when it comes to water ski jumping in general, you have your partner that is helping you with that. But but for the yeah. rest, and I think that's extraordinary for, and not what you see regular in, in the pro athlete field is that you don't have a coach yourself, right? Like a technical coach? Yeah, technical coach. No, I mean, I've, as a kid, I did. It was Jared Lewan and my dad, you know, had his eye on me. And I had another coach, Mike Ferraro, who used to coach Jared Lewan, was also my dad's friend. So I had a great circle. I had influence from the guys who make my skis, Goodman's. I had a handful of other people who've helped me, my friend. And I kind of got, when I was sort of 16, 17, I, I sort of, it's probably when I finally didn't have a coach, right? When I kind of went off to college. And at that point, I just started looking at everybody else and just trying to, even when I was competing against guys, even beating them, I was just constantly asking them questions. And I've done that a lot. Then I sort of got to be the best. And that, and then I started trying to learn about every other part about my body and my fitness. And my view is, you know, your, your performance as a sum of, you know, you as a human, not just your technical performance. I'm just trying to learn. I've always wondered, you know, should I have a coach there every day, but I don't know who it would be. Like, I don't know how that would look. I'm not close to it. I've had these thoughts that there could be someone and, you know, Mike Farrell, I mentioned that name. He's probably comes down once a year for a day and mm. watches me. And I, I yeah. send him a video here and there, but I don't have someone like in charge of my program it's kind of the freedom of being in this sort of level of sport, but also the, what makes it challenging. So, yeah. And what is it that, that makes it challenging? That's something I would be interested in. I mean, I'm just like holding another position, right? Like I'm now my own coach and Brianne helps me and, you know, it's just another level of discussion and unknown. And, you know, where do we steer this, this ship? What do we do? Who's, who's influencing, who's on my team, who's helping how, you know, and I, I have to step out of myself in that moment and coach myself and plan my stuff. And, and because I can imagine you have your off days also, right. And you already shared with us yeah. that, that everything is connected. Um, mm -hmm. When you, for example, when you're alone and you need to do that because it's a tight regime, right? To be the best in the world. And when it comes to, for example, procrastination, how do you deal with yourself if you have 
that off day? How do, do you, let's say, create that motivation within yourself to still do what you need to do? I think there's, there's like different phases. I think the more I listen to myself, I'll know if it's, if it's I'm procrastinating or if, or if it's a sign or a, a little signal from my intuition that maybe I shouldn't be doing the thing. And I think the better the place I get, the more healthy, the more clear, the less distracted any information coming in is usually something to listen to, not that I should do it because I'm supposed to do it. Mm. I think as an athlete, I don't think procrastination is an issue for me. I think almost my biggest setbacks have been from pushing through too much and doing something that I said I should do because maybe I don't want to procrastinate because it's supposed to be bad. I think one of my strengths over the years that's made me sustainable has been having the courage to just stop and just not do it. And it's wonderful because I think you as an athlete, but I think every athlete and high performers know this, the, the timing when to stop Hey, what you're saying so wonderfully is you get it's 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 not mostly procrastination. It's a signal. It's an internal communication mm-hmm. going on, and you've trained yourself to listen to that internal communication going on, the signals yeah. in your body, the internal dialogue, and you say to yourself, "Stop!" And that's what you, in a way, say set you aside from the rest. Mm-hmm. Also, make it a much more sustainable journey in the long run. Yeah, yeah, sustainable to where you can come out of this. Okay. Is the goal I've always, <laughs> I don't, and I, li- I listen to this Michael Phelps podcast on Tim Ferriss and him and this other swimmer, the two top two guys were talking. And that is by no means something that I, I, I told my wife, I'm like, I don't want Ari to be a swimmer. Like the way this sounded like the, he trained AM swim workout PM swim. It's like five to seven hours a day of stuff. He did 860 some days straight. Mm. The mental state, of this guy, I feel for him. It sounds very painful, the stuff he's going through, especially for someone so healthy. Who I don't believe really drank much or did drugs or anything. He did all this health, you know, his body's and mind is supposed to be perfectly finely tuned, but I think there's like a breaking point and I don't know if you can come back from it. Would you say uh, that it's still healthy then, uh, Ryan, when you're approaching it like that? So that's what Brianne asked me. Like, do you, is that how you have to swim? And I'm like, And my dad said the same thing. I'm like, because that's what now this is like what kids probably are thinking they have to do. And I'm like, I'm not a swimmer, but I think maybe there's a better way to get results even for him. I I just don't think you can perform optimally by overtraining to that degree. There has, when I say stop, I think there would be a way to perfectly fine tune your peaks and tapers and your volume and, and have your, your heart rate variability and your sleep and all that stuff perfectly set up to where you wouldn't need as much recovery. You wouldn't have to have a, whoa, stop, but you also you can't control life. Like when stress is, when I was kind of starting to pay attention more to this year, like stress is stress, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, you know, if someone's cat dies or the grandma passes away or someone goes to jail or you lose your house, like is your next training week supposed to be the same in the gym? Like, I don't think so. I think you have to have the courage to stop and most athletes will push through and that's when they get in trouble. And most people I think as well, it could be a longer thing. And this year, I think I just needed to stop. I haven't hit the jump for five months. Wow. Um, Maybe that ankle had to happen. Maybe the back had to happen. I mean, I have to see it that way. I can't see it as a, Oh, I hurt myself and now I've missed five months. I'm going like, I got blessed with five months of not jumping without even the chance of jumping. And now I want to jump more than anything. That's how I've looked in your eyes. (laughs) 
<laughs> you see that fire. Yeah. But what what I also heard you say before is that your father said, hey, okay, you can do everything you want, um, but what you need to do is you need to work hard. But what mm-hmm. I hear you say is, and I think we're talking about Michael Phelps, that's somebody that focuses a lot on only on the hard work. But what I hear you say is you made that transition from, yeah, I, I need the discipline, I need the motivation, I need the grit, but instead of hard work, I'm going more to a place of smart working, right? Mm-hmm. With stopping as essential me yeah. to create that sustainable high performance. Yeah. Yeah, because now like I love pushing hard. Like my favorite thing is like to go in the gym and just max my body up. Yeah. But like I haven't done that in on any exercise in a handful of years, even once. It's very high risk, especially when you've been through this much or at any point to push your body to its max, especially if you have, you know, like when we did that exercise that was at the dynamic meditation with you, like mm-hmm. with the hands over the head, that was the last time I pushed my body and said, I'll do this at all costs. And I, I stayed my hands up the whole time. And I said, I'll do it. Even if my arm falls off and I can't ski again, that's how and it was the most painful suffering that I've felt that I can remember. It was amazing. And that rush after was unbelievable that I'd love to just be pushing like that every day at stuff, but I can't do it. The body can't do it. The mind can't handle it. It's a slow calculated it's patience, it's persistence. It's, it's seeing no results for could be years. And then boom, you know, that moment that might happen or, or at least now I get to, to do this stuff. And what I also hear you say, Ryan, is it's not only that physical part, and that's really literally also training yourself mentally and not only when you do that jumping, but also when it comes to performance and success and be human in that whole, let's say, field of game, right? Yeah. And you talked about uh, your back and your ankle and even in Norway has conversations. First of all, how many things, because I, I can ask you this, how many things did you broke in your life with the work you did? I mean, I've, I'm very thankful. You know, a lot of extreme athletes, I think I saw Travis Pastrana, probably the most notable extreme athlete, motocross guy, and he's done tons of stuff. Like the, and he has 160 broken bones and stuff. Yeah. I've been very, I'm not a wild man. I'm not like, I'm not a risk taker. I'm fairly conservative and calculated and progressive. And, and I've come to this point, been very lucky. Knock on wood. I've had no, no surgeries. I've had no, nothing torn off. I've, I've got a few, I've, I've done this thing with my foot a handful of times fractured, you know, but there's stress fractures. I haven't like broken my foot off, you know, or like stress fractures, bone bruises, ligaments torn. I fractured my skull. I've had a handful torn muscles and, but relatively out of all the guys that do this, uh, I'm in a pretty great place. Um, so it's, it's so not too bad. Think, what do you think makes the difference that you're in this lucky place that allows you, because uh, there is a lot of intensity going on when you do it, yeah. speed force. So what is it that you do think that sets you apart when it comes to this? I think I'm fairly progressive with my, even attempts at growth or performance. Like I'm, I'm not like here or there. I'm, I'm usually very slow at, at pushing and retreating and I can feel and my intuition for my body and jumping I've, I've listened to. Um, that's kind of what got me in trouble last year. I didn't do anything for so long and I felt good and I got so excited at this tournament and then I just pushed from here to here. Mm. and just too fast. And it was just a calculation, a mental error. And 
you know, you get hurt. Like you can't, you know, people think performance is people go in this event and they do some magical thing. My, I've, my tournament performance is usually the same or worse than my practice performance. I don't, I don't have, I don't have like heroic performances. Like I just do what I do daily in the events, but you have to build that very slow over time and the whole program and the system, everything needs to come together. And I just think I mitigate the risk quite well. You know, that's been a struggle my whole life is, you know, knowing you do something that's very dangerous and, you know, thinking about that every day is, is tough. Yeah. So in a way, how you deal at least with danger is going for more in an evolutionary way of, way of approaching it instead of a revolution. So really incremental yeah. changes that add up. And I think that's not only in the, the field of, of top athletes, but I think that's a wonderful lesson for everybody because everybody's looking for like that, that low and then that high. But the journey yeah. in between, yeah. you also talk about the, the, the dangers that also immediately brings me to, to fear. Like, I can't imagine that you never dealt with fear in the things you do. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm engulfed by it every day that I ski completely. And how do you deal with, like, first of all, the identity that you created of, of yourself as being the top athlete, the dangers that are there, that slowly progression that you create for yourself. But how do you deal on a daily basis with fear and yourself experiencing that? I forgot the book I read quite a while ago, probably 10 years ago. I don't remember the title, but it just helped me understand that if utilized and the right dose of it, you know, specifically what fear can do for your focus, your hormones, your adrenaline, mm -hmm. that it is very useful if harnessed, right. If controlled, if, if not let gone wild or run away, or if it doesn't take your breathing patterns out of control. And usually fear of something is a sort of a, a little bump on the shoulder or a, a clue or a suggestion that, that something needs to be understood or paid attention to. And if fear leads to where it's sort of too strong and it becomes anxiety, then, you know, and it's overwhelming, then it's just usually a calculation. I need to readjust. I need to modify my plan. I need to be more specific with it. I, it's just sort of a, I don't know, sort of a guide in a way and a, a motivator. And it's, uh, I know if I don't have it, I'm probably in trouble if I go jumping without fear. That's, that's a beautiful one, right? So in a way, you've created, uh, let's say, a helpful relationship with fear, whereby what I also hear you say is that when it becomes too overwhelming and when it takes you, know, you mm -hmm. over, you zoom out, you change your breathing, you create mm -hmm. a clarity for yourself for what is going on. And that allows yeah. you to get back into that healthy relationship with fear again. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've seen people with fear so strong, it's like disabling and you can usually see it in their eyes. Like Brianne is a great judge of that with the other guys, like with the competitors, like she can look and she can tell, Oh, oh that's, and she's seen it in me a few times. She always looks into my eyes right before I go on the water, when I leave the dock and after we usually discuss and she can sort of tell the place I'm in. And, but sometimes you need it. Like, you know, it may need to be so strong for you to get through that day and not kill yourself. Like, if everything's set up in your, your head, right, it usually means something. But that's also, I think that's the first step when you talk about a fear is that sometimes you need to go, to go through the fear also to create that healthy relationship yeah. back with it, right? Because it can be that, that overwhelming place. And yes, you can 
change your state by creating a different briefing. Yes, you can create clarity to zoom out, but there are points, especially, and you're an athlete, but I think everybody that's at home in their regular life also have some points sometimes that it's just overwhelming, but you still have to go yeah. through it to come so that, to the that, other end, right? That is, that's very challenging. So when you have that scenario with a dangerous sport, right? That's, that's the huge discomfort. That's what I used to love when I was younger. And some people love that. Some people love coring themselves, hitting that, and then just throwing themselves in. I don't like that. <laughs> that's not, that's <laughs> not so far. Every time I've done that, I've come out well, and I've had some insane out of body performances that made me think there's a higher power, some sort of religious experience from going through stuff like that. Yeah. A couple just blew my mind with, I, I felt like I was floating in a different planet. You know, one tournament I had immense anxiety and I was suffering from, I don't know what was going on. Everything was just out of whack. And I was before the event, I was even too scared to go to practice. I was just in a really weird, dark, sketched out place. And I went, I didn't go practice. I was considering pulling out of the event. I was just at home freaking out. And it's a night jump event too. And then they said they're okay. We'll get prelims in the day. So we had prelims in the day. And then we go to the tournament night. Well, guess what? It got insanely windy. A huge cold front came in in Florida. It was like 43 degrees out. And there was like 30 mile an hour wind. And I'm at home. I'm getting ready to leave, pack my bag to go for prelims in the day. And I'm already petrified, right? I have never even skied at this lake. I'm freaking out. I'm pacing around the house. I'm telling Brianna I should maybe bail. Then they cancel the prelims in the day. Mm, wow. And I'm like, oh no. My whole thing has been my whole thing that I write down, my whole like my is you do it in the day and then you just replicate it night for night jump and you go off that. Yeah. Now that's gone too. And I'm questioning myself, why didn't I practice? The lake's an hour away. I could have skied there anytime the last three years and I didn't. So I'm questioning myself, this whole thing. And then it's that moment, like this discomfort's insane. For some reason I said, no, I'm going, let's go. I get up there and it's windier than I thought, colder than I thought. I'm totally panicking. I'm pacing around. And I was still like debating just driving home, mm. but I somehow just felt so cornered, whatever I had in my head that I couldn't leave. I walked around the lake, I paced around it. And I just, I just told myself once I turned my headphones, because I have routines and all I said is I just got to get my headphones on and I got to start my warm up. And I got my headphones on, started my warm up, And from that moment on, I was just like, it was crazy. And I went on the water and I had the best performance at night. I jumped insane Two I won by like 15 feet and I'd never even skied at the site. And I watched the video of the jump and it was just this easy, it was just the most rhythmic progressive. Like it didn't look like it should be anywhere near that far and everything just flowed. And it was just, and I was like in between jumps, I was like looking at the stars. I didn't even look at the scoreboard. I didn't even look at this. I had no idea how far I jumped. I was just out there enjoying this whacked out experience. Like when you're tripping out in some DMT breathing. Yeah. And, and I came in, I had no idea how, I, how far I went. If I won, I didn't look at anybody else's scores. I was just like looking at the clouds and I came in, they told me the score and I won. And then it was just like insane. I, I've never had anything happen. Like, and my heart rate was crazy low. I wasn't even breathing. It was just like so weird. What, what, because I hear you say at least one thing is that uh, your routine helped you to transition from, let's say, that one state to the other. Would you say that your routines that were making the difference over there, or was there another factor that created that, that you experienced it in this way? 
I don't know if I could have gotten to that place without the routine because like, I just know once you start, then I'm not going to stop. I'm not going back at least in the past. Maybe there'll be a point in my life where I should still stop. Once I start, that's probably wise, but that's how I got myself started in the game. But that was based off, I'm not saying that's the template, but at that point in my life, that's what, that's what stopped the thought patterns. That's what stopped the anxiety. Like that was the routine that was at that point in my life, like putting me in a good place and enabling me to stop the, you know, I, the thought stopping process was enabled. So in a way you could almost say that when you're in that situation with that internal dialogue and overwhelm and fear that is going on, um, and there's a lot of unknown, but by in a way transitioning to your routines, you step back into what you knew and that allowed you mm -hmm. to enter a different state of being and creating that result that you did. I think that enabled it. I, I, I still have no idea how that whole thing, the experience took place because it was really neat. Um, <laughs> <it was> like, <laughs> have you ever been able to replicate it in other moments that, that, that wonderful, like, I mean, there's around. never been one the same, but I've had a handful of different, honestly, that moment I was like, I came home and like, I believe in something. I don't know what it wasn't me. I don't know what that was. That was the first time I ever said something like that. Uh, there hasn't been many other moments that were like most of the time, most of my performances, the last say five years, I was just very calm, calculated, gone through my pre-event plan and my training and competed. And often there wasn't much adrenaline. It was fairly, just fairly composed, just doing what I do every day. But There's been a handful of times where like I've had to, I only brought that up because like when you say push past that fear, mm -hmm. like just find a way to, that's how I did it. There's been a few times where I've done it and it's kind of like, you just say, screw it and you take the risk. It'd be like the stock market right now, just throwing your money at one stock and see what happens. It, it was almost, I've done that a few times and it has worked jumping right to that edge without being comfortable or as calculated as I could be. Like usually I can see the outcome and how I'm gonna and feel what the process is. And there's been a few times where like, I didn't think I could do it. I didn't know if I could do it, but I just kind of said, I'm willing to, I'm willing to accept any, risk and any outcome and go for it yeah but interesting thing also what i hear you say is that it's almost like a relationship especially with the work you do and being that pro athlete uh, ryan is that you literally have a relationship with fear like you have your good days you have your bad days you have mm -hmm. your like the extremes going on and some things that are helping you at least is having that routine set in place creating clarity by planning and structuring those kinds of things in a way help you to guide you through those moments of fear, right? And I think that is what yeah. most people are missing in their everyday life. Not talking about you being the athlete, but now you being the human and what people can take away from this is that creating that clarity and honesty towards yourself. And sometimes you say, go past the fear, even if that internal voice say to you, I'm not going to do it, but you still do it, is the thing that makes a difference, right? Yeah, I think each time that's something like that's happened where you do go past the fear, it has, you're going to learn or experience more than if you don't. And I don't know the recipe for how often that's supposed to happen. I don't know when you're supposed to do that. You know, I've done that in business, not that often, but a few times. And 
so far it's always worked out. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know why the fear would be so strong before those moments when it, the pattern is it usually works out. Maybe the fear, maybe that's the only way to make that decision. Maybe it's a different type of fear. Maybe it's just necessary at that moment. I'm not, I'm not sure. No, but what, what you, what, one of the things, of course, what created that fear at that night jump is that you have received perception of how it will be and the circumstances changed. And that's what is inducing fear in people in everyday life. You have an idea how your day will work out, but it most of the times is completely different. And that is what fear and stress is allowing you to do. And I think the wonderful thing with your example is it's like, it's a real big example of how fear mm-hmm. can work out if things are changing for you, but also how to deal with it at the same time. Yeah. I have an in, a question for you that what will you, what are, what is it that you take home Ryan for like, okay, you're that athlete, but you're a husband, you're like a partner, man, you're Ryan yourself as a human being. What is it that, let's say the lessons that you've learned that you are using in just being Ryan instead of being that athlete part of you? I mean, very, very recent, like the last you know week I had fear because, you know, Brianne couldn't pick Ari up the last week. We're, we're going through uh, this IVF process to have a, an attempt at having another kid and we're very excited. And I was very fearful because that meant I had to put Ari to sleep because <laughs> I haven't been doing it. Brianne's been, you know, the one putting her to sleep for her nap and at night. And it's, it's sometimes it's an hour, hour and a half process to get her to sleep. She doesn't like going to sleep typically. And she also doesn't behave well and she's not happy if she doesn't sleep. So I was like, Oh man, I'm responsible for this. I was really worried for a long time at one. I hurt my shoulder when we first had her rocking and I've spent two years to, well, she's just about to almost two years working on this shoulder with physio and get my shoulder back. And then I had back pain, so I couldn't even lift her. And so I was worried about all that stuff. And then I'm like, all right, I got to do this. So it was hilarious that I'm relating this, but it was the same process as like getting ready for a jump tournament. And, <laughs> but I care about her more than my jumping. So I'm like, Oh man, I want to let my wife down all the normal things that this is, this is something more people could probably relate to than my jumping, but my brain's doing the same patterns. And I'm much less proven as a father than a jumper. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do? And I just tried and listened to Brianne and, and then relating now to my jumping and what I'm good at, you know, we've, Brianne and I discussed routine is important, but I know that if anyone that I know, I'm the best at routines. So I was more specific with the time and with not having distraction come in. She wanted another book. She wanted to go for a walk last night. She wanted in the bed before she was ready for bed. She didn't want bed. She tried all the things, <laughs> all the tricks. And I just, I'm not saying I know what I'm doing, but I just said, all I have is I'm going to stick to this routine. And the first few days, my shoulder was sore and I was worried. And I went to my physio and I started doing exercise. Like, Oh my God, am I wrecking my shoulders? Am I, am I going to herniate a disc in my back? And just my normal patterns of worry start kicking in and kept going and she slept well and we stuck to the routines and the last couple of nights she slept through the night, which she's only ever done a handful of times in two years. And I've bonded with her and Brianne's got to rest. And so I'd say I just stuck to these friggin' routines, the same books, the same order, the same time, <laughs> non, non-negotiable and, <laughs> and, uh, I strive to do this stuff better in my out of jumping life. And it's really hard for me to, 
I know this stuff works so well, but like when I'm not jumping, you know, I don't have the fear. I'm not nearly as well put together. And, uh, you know, maybe I can start to use these tools in my daily life better. <laughs> so let's say the structure and the routines, et cetera, in your professional life, you're used to it, but in your private life, it's still a grow pun. So well, I know with fear, this, I ha- this is, this is maybe a breakthrough. Like I know I had the, I had pressure. I know I perform under pressure. You give me pressure to do anything. I'm going to figure it out. And this was pressure. I had it. Brianne it was like, she can't do it. There's no one else here to do it. It's me. That's pressure. And then fear of failing, fear of the kid being upset, fear of, everything going bad. And then I figured out, but you know, just when I'm not jumping, I have no, you know, I'm just, it's, it's hard to, to feel that way when there's not these other things that drive me, I guess, to, to fear or to have pressure. And I, I think that's, that's also a lesson for everyone because yes, you're that pro athlete, but you're a human being and you're a father. And when a new context or a new situation presents itself, that is new, every human being, has fear in one way or the other. So the relationship Mm -hmm. with fear, and I think that's what people sometimes forget is that it's not about getting rid of fear. It's more how you dance with fear and have that relationship because getting it away, it's a part of you, right? It's tried tries to help you. And like what you're saying with your kid, when it comes to water ski jumping, probably you want to perform, you want to survive, and you want to come out on the other end very healthy. But when it comes to your kid, it's like, okay, it's not only about you anymore, but it's also the fear and letting others down Yeah, coming into place then, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess my hope is that, you know, the, the takeaways from the jumping and the crazy stuff I do that out of sort of necessity and my drive to do it, I've learned all these, you know, tools and ways to work through challenges and struggles that can be useful for one in myself and in other parts of life and in the future and also for other people and all the different things we do, whether it, you know, we don't have to do, you know, some notable thing to have the same sort of feelings and need the same sort of tools or experiences. No, absolutely. And that brings me uh, to the last question, uh, Ryan, uh, now being a father of one, hopefully another one coming also. And we met up in uh, Norway with each other. And then you hear me talk a lot lot about uh, legends and that you're a legend and that we all have a legacy inside of you. Your father, one of the legacies that I hear from you in this conversation is that it doesn't matter what you do, but I want you to work hard and then you will succeed. What at the end of your life and when you have your one or two kids grown up, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind for them? Yeah, something I think about a lot and that's very touchy subject with the sort of the influence that we can have on anyone, let alone your own kid. So I'd say it's a work in process. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if I can just, I haven't, I don't think it's one thing. I don't know exactly. I'm not sure yet. (laughs) Sure yet. That's also interesting. So, and where you are, maybe a question then to make it more to the now Uh, with the life experience you have until now, is there like one lesson that you've learned that you will hope that your kids or kid will also learn in the future? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a lesson. I think everyone's going to have to have lots of lessons, um, be open to them being, you know, learning, not failure. 
I don't want people to be let down by something that doesn't go how they want it to go. You know, I messaged someone yesterday that I used to coach water skiing. That's an Alpine racer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were messaging back and forth about our workouts and she mentioned a few things. And I just said, all these things that we are seeing as, as negative or setbacks, they're just clues. I think they're just clues that we need to investigate and it's to help unlock our next sort of chapter, or if we're still trying to be a better athlete in person, our next level, our next, and that's what I've tried to see from anxiety. It's just to me, like a little poke that we need to, you know, there's something here to learn, listen to. So I think that, you know, something I want to pass on to anyone, and especially my kid also, you know, I posted yesterday on Instagram. I thought I was listening to Michael Phelps podcast and he thought he came up with something groundbreaking and Tim Ferriss was even more interested with how groundbreaking it was that just basically I wrote it down. Exactly. He said, do things that make me feel like me. Mm, yeah. And That's Tim was just blown away that this is like, this is amazing. Like, well, it seems really simple um, to be honest. And it seems fairly, fairly much should be almost everything leading from that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what was neat about my dad is he gave me the freedom to do that. He said, you can kind of do anything you want, just work hard at it. Like, and don't quit. was kind of the message I got. Yeah. So I think that's something huge that needs to be wiped from a lot of people's brains of what they're supposed to do. I don't think that anyone's supposed to do or be, I think they be themselves and be proud of that and yeah. explore it. Thank you so much, uh, Ryan. <laughs> there is a world champion in each of us and we've spoken about fear responsibility and routines and if you would zoom out on your own life right now what is that one routine that you should implement and the question is not only what routine you should implement, who should you become to implement that routine in the first place? Let me know and wishing you a great day. Thank you for joining us. If you don't want to miss an episode of Exit the Red Race, make sure to subscribe. Are you listening through Apple Podcasts? We'd love you to leave a review. Do you know someone who really should hear this episode? Share it in your favorite social media so you can tag them. Oh, and don't forget to tag Daniel as well. Want to know more about Daniel Kluken? Check out his website at danielkluke.com. Are you ready to live your legend? See you next time. Exit the rat race.